This is a podcast by The Straits Times and Money FM 89.3. Welcome to Power Play, a series which is part of The Straits Times Asian Insider podcast channel. I'm Carissa Yong, ST's US correspondent based in Washington. And I'm Danson Chung, ST's China correspondent based in Beijing. Every month, the both of us will look at various facets of the US-China rivalry and its implications for Asia. This episode, we're going to look at something that China looks to be increasingly worried about, the prospect or possibility of an Asian NATO. Is this going to be likely? And, you know, what would this mean for China? Yeah, Chris, and let's start with this question. You know, what exactly is an Asian NATO? Uh, when you think about NATO, you know, what comes to mind is usually, you know, this, this Western entity. It is called the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. And it arose out of the Cold War as an organization of the U.S., and its Western European allies versus the Soviet Union and the Warsaw Pact states. Yep, so it raised eyebrows that the recent NATO summit held in Madrid at the end of June was attended by Japan, South Korea, New Zealand and Australia, four Asia-Pacific countries, and it was the first time that the leaders of those four countries attended the annual summit as observers. Yeah, I mean, that was quite unprecedented. Yeah, and it wasn't just that Asia-Pacific countries near China were embracing NATO. NATO was also singling out China as a security concern for the first time. You know, at the same summit, you had NATO, which has largely been focused on Europe and its security challenges. This NATO was flagging China as a systemic challenge. It was talking about China's growing influence and its assertive behavior, especially regarding Taiwan. It was talking about, you know, China's nuclear arsenal and also its close relationship with Russia. So Denzel, I bet that raised some eyebrows in China. You know, no doubt Beijing had some concerns about being encircled, about being contained. I guess my question is, what did China have to say about all of this? Nothing pleasant. I mean, the Chinese foreign ministry, you know, sort of rehashed uh, usual talking points when it comes to these things, you know, saying that it was proof of, uh, you know, what they call Cold War mentality and ideological prejudice against China. The foreign ministry spokesman, you know, uh, accused NATO of hyping up uh, the threat of China and, and, you know, that it was extending its tentacles to the Asia Pacific and trying to, to create block confrontation. But, you know, this is something that China has been concerned about uh, and has been complaining about for, for months. But, you know, I'm, I'm interested in hearing what you think about whether we are seeing the, the makings of an Asian NATO. Well, the US has repeatedly downplayed this idea of an Asian NATO. So at the Shangri-La Dialogue in Singapore, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin said the US doesn't seek confrontation and conflict and it doesn't seek a new Cold War. And he explicitly said that the US doesn't, and I quote, seek an Asian NATO or a region split into hostile blocs. So it doesn't seem like the US wants a formal defense alliance just yet. Rather, you know, it has this series of partnerships on various issues, depending on various countries' interests. And at the same time, NATO itself also has stressed that it's not targeting China. You know, the NATO Secretary General, Jens Stoltenberg, explicitly said that China is not our adversary when he was presenting that strategic vision. But what is interesting is that there does seem to be an appetite in the region for more security cooperation with an eye on China. So Denson, how do you think we got here? I think this really is a reflection of the concern uh, in the region that we're seeing over uh, China's uh, growing assertiveness. So I don't think you know China really should be surprised. I mean, if you look at Australia, Japan, and South Korea, they've all been subject to, to economic pressure or had to deal with you know, an increasingly provocative a Chinese military over the last couple of years. You know, for South Korea, there was that, that anti-missile system dispute that started in 2017. And, you know, Australia is still dealing with Chinese tariffs on goods, uh, on its goods like wine and barley. And, you know, Japan 
you know, has that dispute with, with China over the Senkaku Islands that, you know, has just been on a slow boil for almost 10 years now. You know, and there's increasing fear, I think, in all these countries over the possibility of war in Taiwan. Yeah, it does seem like the war in Ukraine especially and China's support of Russia also kicked these concerns into higher gear. So these heightened concerns in the region over Taiwan, you know, for example, Japanese PM Fumio Kishida said that at the summit, he felt a strong sense of crisis that Ukraine may be East Asia tomorrow. And he also said that Asia-Pacific partners should, in future, participate in NATO summits on a regular basis. So I think there is a sense among Japan and South Korea that China may be emboldened by Russia's actions, and China may be getting more assertive over Taiwan. And what really sticks out to them is also China's refusal to condemn Russia's invasion of Ukraine. So do you think this signals a solidifying shift against China in the region? For sure. I, I think that, you know, there were two uh, public opinion polls that were released at the end of June. I think they really show how the ground has, has shifted uh, under China. The Pew Research Center uh, survey of 19 countries, granted that they're mostly European states, but Australia, South Korea and Japan were also polled shown that public sentiment toward China uh, is at historic uh, lows. And then you have the Lowy Institute, you know, that found that 63% of Australians today see China as more of a security threat, you know, with, with 33% seeing it as more of an uh, economic partner. So this proportion is a complete reversal from just five years ago when an overwhelming majority saw China for its economic opportunities. So, you know, I think this sort of base of public opinion is really pushing countries at least it's constraining, you know, uh, foreign policy in these countries and causing politicians to be more vocal on China and pushing, I think, these countries to align themselves more closely with the US. And I think we've seen this with groupings like Quad, AUKUS, Five Eyes, uh, you know, the, the new Indo-Pacific economic framework. But, you know, I'm curious, why do you think these countries, uh, you know, are now looking toward Europe and NATO? For Japan, I think analysts see this as an attempt by Tokyo to reach out to Europe as a security partner so that it can diversify its security ties from the US. And also, this kind of reaching out helps it to underscore its sense of threat from China. And for South Korea, I think it likely wants a bigger role on the world stage. And it also has an eye on North Korea. So deeper ties with European partners means it has more countries to work with on issues like nuclear deterrence and cyber attacks. And on top of that, you know, overall, there are some similarities between these four Asia-Pacific countries and NATO's European countries. You know, they're liberal democracies and their leaders have spoken of the international rules-based order being threatened by China or by Russia's actions. So to them, that's a common interest and also a common challenge right there. This podcast is available on our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us. And now back to our podcast episode. So Denson, we've talked about how China's behavior is driving states in the Asia-Pacific towards Washington and towards NATO. But how is China responding to all of this? Well, you know, the, the Biden administration has been very clear about its strategy against China. But I think these recent developments with NATO, you know, are sort of increasingly making China feel encircled and threatened. I mean, just look at Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi, who this month went on a two-week tour in Southeast Asia. It's clear that, you know, Beijing also has been trying to, to marshal and, and gather its own allies. You know, at the ASEAN Secretariat in Jakarta, uh, Wang Yi gave this very interesting policy speech where he, you know, sort of stressed adhering to the principle of independence, you know, of respecting the autonomy of ASEAN, of ASEAN, you know, choosing its own path free of pressure. So, you know, he, he specifically said that, you know, ASEAN nations should not be used as chess pieces. So you sort of get the idea. I mean, ASEAN doesn't need to be told all of this, but it gives you a hint of the, the anxiety that, that China is facing. 
You know, and it's interesting, you know, from the, the language that Wang Yi used, he said something like, the future of, of this region should be in our own hands. And then, Sun, what's the implicit message in that if you had to translate it into plain language? <laughs> I think it's clear that, you know, China wants to impress on ASEAN and I think on, on other regional countries that it is part of the region, but the US is not. So where do you think this is all going? Are we going to see Australia, South Korea, Japan uh, and New Zealand join NATO? I think there's a long way to go before they join NATO. You know, just look at how Finland and Sweden, they worked with NATO for years and they never joined NATO. And the event that finally gave them the impetus to petition to join most recently was Russia's invasion of Ukraine. So for Japan and South Korea and New Zealand and Australia, they all will be sensitive to what China thinks about their actions, given their strong economic ties with China. You know, South Korea, for one, has stressed that its attendance of the NATO summit is not a shot at China. You know, President Yoon told reporters that the NATO summit is not about excluding a certain country. He didn't even name China is how sensitive the whole thing is. And on top of that, those four countries have been formal partners of NATO since the 2010s. And this is just the first year that they were invited to and attended the annual summit. And also, you know, they already are formal allies of the US. So it's not quite clear what taking that extra step of formally joining NATO would do for them. But the trend is towards increasing security cooperation. So who knows how things will end up, Denson? You know, maybe we'll see deeper security cooperation. Maybe we'll see them working more closely on more programs and exercises. You know, maybe we'll even see South Korea join the Quad. Yeah, I think greater cooperation and security is going to be a given. Although if I can just add one last point, I, I think it's, it's that China is still a big economic partner of all these states. You know, it's their top trading partner. So I think dealing with security issues while not upsetting economic ties is going to be a big challenge for them going forward. Well, thank you, Denson. That nicely wraps up our chat. You're still listening to Powerplay. I'm Carissa Yong. And I'm Denson Chung. Do check out our bylines in the Straits Times online. We also have links in our podcast text description below. The Asian Insider Podcast channel is also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us.